Hi, I'm Nat. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to Compass Mentis. Lawyers talking about well-being in law. Brought to you by Bottled Snail. This is episode 12, Lawyer and Outlook. Today we are talking about Outlook on the podcast. I'm also going to interview the Honourable Shane Marshall, formerly a Justice of the Federal Court. So Jen, what does Outlook mean to you? Well, I guess I want to start with saying that I think this is such an important topic because at the end of the day, your thoughts inform your actions, which amount to your lived experience at the end of the day and how you interact with other people and the world. Um, And ultimately, I guess, whether you have a positive or negative reaction to different events and things happening in your life. So I would describe Outlook as being your approach to life or maybe the lens through which you see the world. And that's something that can change, right? It's not necessarily a fixed thing. That's right. So I think, firstly, it can definitely change week to week, day to day, hour to hour, depending on what's going on for you in your life, your stress levels, how difficult your work is at the point in time, how many demands and responsibilities are on you, what's happening in your personal life with your relationships and your family. But on a broader scale, what's quite exciting is that research is now showing that you can change your outlook um, because it's almost a skill that can be learned and can be shaped. So for example, changing your mindset to a more optimistic one. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can change your outlook perhaps to be more positive, but I think it also shows that when we are doing work that sort of requires us to look for risks in the future, we're also training our brains to maybe be more negative. And I know that, I mean, that's really an essential skill of the lawyer is to be able to sort of um, look into the crystal ball and tell you everything that goes wrong. And that's what we're often asked to do and paid to do. But it can be really hard when that sort of mindset creeps into other parts of your life where it's not necessary. So, for example, I know um, if I'm organising something like a family birthday, and I send out an email giving people the details, I like them all to reply and say, yes, we agree to the time and the place. And until I get an email from everyone, I'm not necessarily happy about it because I sort of expect them to, um, I guess, respond in the same way that people would when you're in lawyer mode. Although lawyer mode is definitely not appropriate for things involving family and relationships and things like that. And I think it can be um, a bit hard because a lot of decisions that we have to make in life the very risk-averse approach is not the best one. Um, And some things are sort of inherently risky, like relationships or um, even travel, for example. And if you're approaching those things with that sort of lawyer black hat, I think it would be called on, that can actually not be very enjoyable and you can sort of be quite negative about them. Totally agree. Um, Although from your birthday (laughs) example, I just think that's a good (laughs) organisation. They should be responding. Um, No, and I agree that... As lawyers, specifically, we're trained to see that risk and it may well cultivate a more negative mindset, which is why, as lawyers, it's even more important to make sure that there's a counterpoint for us or at least that we're aware of that thinking um, if and when we are using it. So, now, on a personal note, would you describe yourself as an optimist or a pessimist? Um, I'm definitely an optimist, but I'm a cautious optimist, and I think that's probably come maybe from my legal training. So I do see the best in everyone, and I do like to see and work towards the most positive and the best outcome. 
although with time I've sort of probably put a few more caveats on that. So yes, I'm an optimist, but an optimist with caveats. How about yourself? How do you see yourself, Chen? I would describe myself as a a realist, if I'm allowed to choose a third <laughs> category there. <laughs> Don't like the sound of pessimist. But similarly to you, I do see the best in people, but I think a lot of the risk aversion I have perhaps comes from um, my mindset. And there are a few interesting questions that you can ask yourself to identify whether you are an optimist or a pessimist. And they're kind of things like, um, do you have all or nothing thinking? Do you focus on the negatives? That classic job performance review example where you get a bucket load of positive feedback and then one constructive criticism and you just are dwelling on that um, and making it the whole of your performance review experience when it's really not, um, or similar, I guess, overgeneralization. So I think I probably fall into half and half with those types of questions. So cultivating a more optimistic mindset is definitely something that I'm currently trying to do. And how is it that you've been working on that? Are there any sort of tips or skills? Yeah, so there's some interesting research out there about things that you can do. Um, one example is cultivating gratitude, which we have spoken about previously. Um, but it's this idea that you relish the positive things in life, no matter how small they are. So it might be just really enjoying that morning coffee on your way to work or when a client is saying thank you to really take that compliment on board and not reject it and appreciate their gratitude. There's some interesting research being done in this space specifically for lawyers. Um, I'm aware of a company that offers resilience program to law firms and quite innovatively they actually use applications, so say on your iPhone to help lawyers develop a more positive mindset through games. And one of the games that they use is kind of having, I believe, people's faces flashing up before you on the screen. Some of them are smiling happy faces and some of them have more negative emotions. And as part of the game, you need to, as fast as you can, identify the happy faces. And the, their research shows that over a sustained period of time, your reaction time for identifying the positive faces reduces which is quite amazing and suggests that you can train your brain to be more attuned to, say, a positive expression on someone's face rather than a negative one. Isn't that interesting? One of the techniques that I recently found out about is called the third space. And what it involves is when you're sort of transitioning between two tasks, and it might be, um, for example, you're coming out of one meeting and you're quickly going into another meeting or perhaps you're leaving work and you're going home to your family or your housemates, or even just, you know, going home on to be on your own, you take this sort of transition time and use that time consciously. Um, and what it involves is kind of reflecting on the thing that you're finishing and picking some positive things that happened in that meeting and then um, reflecting on the thing that you're about to do and choosing some positive goals of what you want to get out of that experience or that meeting. And um, having done it a few times myself, I think it's a really great thing because it's kind of an opportunity just to reset your outlook and not to kind of feel that um, you're carrying the stresses and the experience of the previous um, meeting into the next one. 
I really love that idea. Yeah, it's I'm great. definitely going to give it a try. Mm. It also involves some kind of meditation and deep breathing techniques, but yeah, I'd really suggest it to anyone who wants to give it a try. That's quite similar to another technique I've heard about, um, which is generally uploading positivity to your brain or surrounding yourself with positivity. Um, and the idea there is when whether you're reading books or listening to music or watching a movie, I guess whatever you're consuming or taking in, that it's something that uplifts you and inspires you rather than um, the opposite. That sounds like a fun technique. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all sometimes enjoy those dark movies yeah. and whatnot. But if you think about it, it, yeah, makes, it sense. makes sense. The more that you're consuming that type of um, information the more your brain is training itself into that mindset. Mm -hmm. I love um, the effect that just hanging around with a positive person can have on you. It can be so refreshing and revitalising. That's another great one. I think also catching yourself having perhaps a more pessimistic thought is another really great way. And then doing something slightly different, just changing the direction, whether that be maybe you're getting up and that physicality of moving or something can help break mm, the usual so negative thought yeah. cycle um, or just noticing it and being able to kind of be like, huh, I'm doing that thing again. I'm mm. thinking in that negative way, but this time I'm just going to let it go. I really find that um, when I'm working on something and if I can sort of change locations and change spaces and change um, what I'm doing physically, it can often sort of give me a little bit of a new edge or a new approach to the work. Um, and I love being able to move around my chambers. It's such a, like, I guess it's a little bit of a blessing, but I definitely recommend that if people can kind of change spots, go and work in the common area um, to give themselves just, it's almost like a bit of a new space and a, a new headspace seems to come with it. Mm -hmm. I think having a purpose in your life is a broader kind of overarching thing that can help you have a positive outlook. So we've spoken a bit before on the podcast about what that might look like. But and how you might find what that is. And how it's you might easy. find it. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. But finding your purpose um, and your passion and then being able to, as we discussed with authenticity, make values, aligned choices in your life and live a life that um, does fulfill your values is really, really important um, and I think can help you maintain a positive mindset even when things become challenging at work or in life. And I guess you can try and connect what it is that you're doing to that purpose. And um, I often find for me, because I'm kind of a big picture person, um, when it gets hard for me, it's usually because I'm right in the depths of the details, which often is a regular um, work sort of space for me to be in. But the way that I do that is to sort of connect that experience to my other skills that I'm more comfortable with. So I use lots of headings for myself. I break down the headings into subheadings. I have subheadings on subheadings. And then once I've sort of done that, it's much more easier to kind of enter the task through something that I've got to strengthen. And I guess that goes to something else we were going to talk about, which is reframing your weaknesses as strengths. I know it's something we've also spoken about before on the podcast, but I just love the idea that our weaknesses are strengths and equally our strengths can be weaknesses. It's often uh, the person's strength that is the thing that will frustrate you the most about them. And... I think the idea of seeing weaknesses in strength, there's two ways to look at it. One is um, you can really grow your positives and sort of focus on your positives. You can also try and work on your weaknesses. But if there are things that you just sort of really don't like and ways of thinking that are not useful at all, one of the approaches that I've heard is just to let that sort of voice wither and not to kind of feed the negativity at all and just to sort of give it no light, no oxygen, no airtime. 
and basically the, the way that I heard it said was sort of sort of say, you know, stuff your voice. I'm not going to go down that thought path and just stick with what you're doing. I really like that idea and think that it's so valuable. Um, and just on the point of reframing your weaknesses as strengths, I think it's a large measure of self-acceptance in there as well and appreciating, okay, this is what I'm like and I have these things and perhaps they're things that you think a good lawyer or a successful lawyer shouldn't um, be doing or shouldn't be having as a personality type. Um, we, we don't think that there is any such thing, <laughs> but perhaps if your thoughts were tending in that direction, an example might be maybe you can be quite an anxious person and get um, wound up about things. But let's try and reframe that potential personality weakness. And the thing is, if you are that type of person, you're also therefore likely to be really, really conscientious and bring a high measure of attention to detail to your work, be good at meeting deadlines. Um, and if you say, okay, yes, I do have this anxiety and I need to address that and deal with it to make sure that uh, my well-being is okay, but it also informs this flip side, which means that I do have these skills and these tendencies that make me great at my job. Um, I think also, too, it's a kind of a matter of running your own race and outlook in a way is very much influenced by what the end goal is and, you know, what it really is that you're trying to do. So a really important message, um, and Justice Marshall is going to speak about this later, is um, to measure yourself by your own standards of success and not other people's. So we've touched on how difficult that can be in the profession of law before, but I think that, you know, we can all do our bit <laughs> and if we're each measuring by our own yardstick that's driven by internal motivators rather than comparing ourselves to other people, we're all going to be happier lawyers for it. And maybe there's something we can do for others in kind of suggesting to them, you know, when you see someone's strength or you see that someone does something well, take the time to let them know about it. If you've got a paralegal that did something great for you, let them know because it'll make their day, it'll encourage them. Um, and I think there would be nothing wrong with sharing a little bit more positivity in general in the profession. Absolutely. There's also an interesting link, I think, between outlook and mindfulness and well-being. So I think another good entry point into it and part of how you might be able to catch yourself having those negative thoughts is to cultivate your mindfulness practice, um, whether that is meditation or checking into small moments or whatever it is that you might be doing, because being able to stay present allows you to have that perspective on what your negative thought might be at that moment and catch yourself to try and redirect it. Otherwise, we can live a lot of our days, in fact, um, on a bit of autopilot mode, just going through the motions and our brain will continue to think as it has in the past. That's what the brain does and strengthen those um, pathways that are perhaps the more pessimistic thinking. And if we want to break away from that, it will take um, a change. I think that's such great advice. I mean, we don't live in the most straightforward world and we can often feel that there's lots of negative things going on around us. So if there's any opportunity to have some personal reflection on um, positivity, that really will grow and hopefully start to influence other areas of our lives. 
And I think it's important to remember when talking about all of this um, is that we do have control over our responses. And sometimes things can feel very negative and completely overwhelming, but that's probably a good time to stop and think, okay, what choices do I have in this? What things can I change and what things do I just need to accept? And sometimes just making that little bit of a change can be really empowering and help flip the perspective on a situation and give you a more positive outlook. I just love the idea that there is choice behind um, being optimistic about certain things. And I think when you make the choice, it just feels like there's a lot more power to you in the situation when it doesn't always feel like there's a power there when you're feeling negative. Absolutely. And the good news is that you can work on changing your thoughts and you can learn optimism as an outlook. So it's definitely not a fixed mindset, which is great news. Now, you spoke more about this topic with Shane Marshall, formerly a justice of the federal court. Let's have a listen to what he had to say. I'm here with Shane Marshall today. Shane's the inaugural ambassador for the Wellbeing and the Law Foundation, a joint initiative of the Law Institute of Victoria and the Victorian Bar. He was a leading barrister in industrial relations and employment and an advocate for reducing the stigma associated with mental illness in the profession. Shane was a judge of the Industrial Relations Court and then the Federal Court for over 20 years. In semi-retirement, he is an acting justice of the Supreme Court of Tasmania and now a chair of the Disciplinary Tribunal in Greyhound Racing and also consults at Maddox. And what is the Wellbeing in the Law Foundation? It raises funds to support the mental health and wellbeing of the legal profession, people who work in the legal profession and law students. It uh, aims to support cultural change across the legal community to reduce stigma, to encourage individuals to seek help early for depression and to encourage employers to take positive responsibility for maintaining a healthy workplace culture. You're a leader in the profession on the topic of mental health and wellbeing in the law and you're one of the first to share your own personal experiences. What was that like for you? Uh, it's a double-edged sword, really. It was good to help other people, and it felt liberating in doing it at the time. But I'm not sure if being out there discussing one's own mental health issues publicly necessarily is in your own best interest if you're doing too much of it. So it's a fine balance? It is a fine balance. And something that I suppose you can work through with the support team that you have, yeah. um, if you're considering doing that. That's right. It, uh, one needs to be uh, careful in choosing um, which invitations to accept. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've given the advice previously, see yourself through yourself rather than judging your strengths and weaknesses through the eyes of others. Can you expand on that and what it means and how others can put that into practice? Yeah, well, the law can be very much a dog-eat-dog -dog profession and can be an uncaring profession. The judiciary can be that way too. Mm. Um, the way some appellate courts treat trial judges converge on personal. Um, it's best to ignore negative vibes and to just concentrate on the positive and um, have confidence in yourself and your ability. You have a lot of interests outside the law, including racing and football. Um, was that somewhere where you kind of use those for your own positivity or um, escapism? 
it was more a question of escapism. <laughs> uh, it's important for me to have interests completely outside the law. And that's something we've spoken before about um, on the podcast, that it's sort of an opportunity to bring some positivity if you yeah. can't necessarily always get yeah. that from your work as a lawyer. That's right. Good to find other sources of enjoyment. <laughs> I think that's so true. So how did you see yourself through your career at the different stages that you're at? And did that change sort of um, when you were looking back? Um, I, I loved um, working at the industrial bar and uh, I was reasonably confident in the work I was doing there. I was a young appointment to the court and uh, it was an appointment that wasn't popular in all circles because of the relative youth involved. So that, that was a challenging aspect of the staff wasn't met with universal acclaim. And since your retirement, do you look back on that time differently to how you experienced it? Yes, I do look back on it differently and think that perhaps I was a bit too sensitive to all the pressures. It's very easy to be harsh on ourselves in the profession. It is. Now, what would your advice be to any legal professionals listening who might be experiencing mental health or wellbeing issues um, and how they should deal with that? I think it's important to seek help, to go and see a GP and if necessary be referred to a psychologist or a psychiatrist to get appropriate medication and advice. Um, it's a sign of strength to put your hand up and say that you need help rather than a sign of weakness. It's a really great perspective on it. What role can the judiciary play in contributing to mental health and wellbeing in the profession? I think the judiciary can be kinder to um, not only to each other but also to people appearing before it because there's a, an obvious power imbalance between someone sitting on the court and those appearing before the court. I think if the judiciary can be courteous and uh, calm, it'll be far more effective in helping people and uh, not damaging anyone's mental health by being overbearing. Thank you so much, Shane. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Um, and we're sure that your wisdom and advice will be really useful to the listeners. Thank you. Well, it's been so great and valuable to hear the perspectives uh, from a leader in our industry. So we're going to finish on a quote today, and that is from Albert Einstein, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Thanks for listening.